2: welcome to wood talk for woodworkers by woodworkers now here are three guys who have great personalities mark matt and Shannon.
4: Alright, it's Wood Talk number 341 for December 5th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about shop subfloors, files for restoring saws, basement woodworking, purple heart resin, acute angles, and making big projects in small spaces. Uh, And today's show, I want to mention very quickly that uh, it is sponsored by Brusso Hardware, our good friends. You guys know that they provide high quality, American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more, don't you? Because we've said it a million times and uh, WoodTalk Talk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK W-O-O-D-T-A-L-K for 10% off your order at bruso.com and let me pull up the Patreon people because I forgot to mention those so if you want to support the show through Patreon you certainly can and get some cool stuff in return for it which we appreciate uh, let's see Steven Misso Rob Wiskow Lucian Lasaki, J.C. Hunt, and Woodshop 101. All those folks went to patreon.com slash woodtalk and sent a few bucks our way and we certainly appreciate that and uh, if you do that, we'll actually mention your name at the top of the show just like we did for those folks. Also, I'd like to add David Watson to that list who used PayPal. You can actually go to the Wood Talk Show homepage there and on the right-hand side there are links to do it sort of the old-fashioned way which is kind of funny to say but PayPal is the old-fashioned way now. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that, David. We appreciate it. All right, so let's get into the the meat and the potatoes as they say and uh, that would be what's on the bench. And for me, I, I finally got my lights in so I've got several boxes of very, very nice LED lights that are waiting to be installed. So I, I'm not I'm actually not gonna do the work myself. I'm at the point now where like time is money, so the time it would take me to get those things installed as it's getting really, really cold. <laughs> would just be too much it's you know it's 11 feet in the air i'm not really that great at this kind of thing and getting everything lined up perfectly so that they're not all at different angles looking stupid um so i'm actually getting someone to help me out with that so hopefully that'll be done uh, within the next week and i'll at least have good lighting in there um and i am getting ready to start a project believe it or not the shop is definitely nowhere near ready to be used but i've got those dewalt FlexVolt tools that I'm going to give a nice thorough workout and we're going to build an arcade cabinet like a um, desktop style arcade cabinet with our buddy uh, Brian Ibbitt over at Coverville so he's doing all the electronics he's got like the Raspberry Pi the buttons and all that stuff and we'll uh, sort of collaborate oddly enough with a a cover music podcaster on a a project to make an arcade cabinet Right on. That'll be fun. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. I'm thinking I'm like, yeah, should I just like ask him to order double parts and make two of them? Because this is absolutely <laughs> something that I would want. And I'm Well, gonna- like
1: what what is the like I know I've seen a bunch of these things where people use uh, emulators and things inside. Mm-hmm. What what's the the computer part. in it. it.
4: It's a Raspberry Pi with an emulator oh, okay. installed, and it. I mean, they cool. look just as good. You know, you got to put a monitor in there as well. Uh, not a whole lot to it, frankly. The electronic side is is not really that difficult, and I believe it's even an instructables project. So it's going to be pretty clearly laid out. So the woodworking isn't even going to be that big of a deal to do. So.
1: Does it have Donkey Kong?
4: I'm God sure. Kong. I'm sure there's a Donkey Kong <laughs> emulator out there.
1: Better be. In, yeah. In Rampage, just because every now and then you just got to. <laughs> tear down some buildings and
4: man! I spent so much like fists. I can remember so many sleepover parties in grade school where we played rampage. That game was just oh, so much fun. The best. Good stuff. Gauntlet. That was good. Oh, so much time wasted there too. Early castle. Warrior.
1: <laughs> Warrior is about to die.
4: Yeah. You know, what's great about all that? Matt wasn't even born yet.
1: <laughs> Probably wasn't.
4: And <laughs> yeah, maybe he was just a little baby. Uh, all right. Remember when you used to shoot your own guy with the elf and it'd be Ow. Ow. Yeah, oh, uh, let's see, Matt, anything new? Should,
1: can we just skip it? Sorry. I just totally derailed the conversation
0: there. Yeah. Um, I'm still building a sawmill. Moving on. Really? That's about
5: <laughs> it.
4: Okay. That's fine. We won't pressure you. Uh, Shannon, uh, what's going on?
1: Uh, finishing up my ice cream scoops. I've done nine of them. No, 10 of them. So I've got two more to do. And I really am sick of them now. (laughs) It's the the typical Christmas turning thing. Sure. I start out with like, oh, this would be a fun new project. And then three more. And I'm like, oh, this sucks. I don't (laughs) want to do this anymore. Yeah, it's (laughs) terrible. It's awful. But more than anything, I had an incredibly frustrating week when just getting interrupted like time and time again in the shop. And, you know, there's there's stuff happens at one point it was, it was kind of nice and I had the garage door open and it's like, you know, I'm asking for like filming interruptions when the doors open because suddenly somebody fires up a lawnmower or something like that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fine. But it's the little things like, well, I was saying, saying to you guys before we started um, uh, recording, I ripped the actual outlet out <laughs> of the wall. That's, that's attached <laughs> to my grizzly planer. Right. Um. You know, 900 pounds of iron starts rolling and I, discovered that it was only anchored via drywall screws and it was like you know it didn't really stop anything but it really just like the ocd kicks in it's like i gotta fix that like i can't just leave i can't just leave that electrical wire like coming out of the wall and hanging there so then i'm doing that and then suddenly i start like knocking stuff over because i I bumped into the wall and there's a bunch of stuff just kind of leaning against the wall and all starts like cascading down in this domino effect and it's just one thing after another just kept getting in the way and me feeling like I needed to fix things and oh, I better find a place to hang that or I better fix that or sweep that up. And yeah, it was just kind of a lot of work with very little to show for it. It's mm-hmm. Probably I was still in mourning after Friday night and my Colorado Buffalo is getting the crap beat out of them. So I think I was just distracted. So yeah. nice was yeah, that, was that that was a, a long weekend
4: with very little to
1: show for it.
4: So I'm in that like perpetual mode these days, just with the house move, we can waste Easily like an entire Saturday and Sunday doing nothing but, Oh, hang that over here. Let's put that over there. Let's organize those few boxes. I mean, that's, that's the same thing. Like I'm getting, um, I feel like I'm barely treading water as far as the shop goes. <laughs> nothing is getting yeah. done. We actually uh, have the same thing going on in
1: our house, but in the opposite, like get that out of here, Like <laughs> box that up, get that we stuff don't out that. of here. Get it out of here. And, and and my philosophy is if I, you know, I don't care you know, I'll have like my back turned in the other room, and Heather will say, "Do we need this?" New- no.
4: <laughs> she
1: didn't even get the sentence. I don't care what it is. No, we don't need it. If you We're have to ask, crap.
4: if you even like, if, like are inclined to ask that question, the answer should be no. We don't need right, it.
1: Right? There's there's nothing in this house that I need so badly. Just just put it in a box, yeah. donate it, throw it out, whatever. I don't care. Nice. Get it out of here.
4: Cool. All right, let's get to what's new, and only a couple of things to share with you here. First of all, we're going to give a congratulations to our friends over at Making It. Uh, I guess they had their 100th episode, and they had a big event over in uh, Boston, actually. And I saw some pictures on Facebook; looked like it was a really good time, full of a bunch of bearded people. For most, of yeah, what I, saw. I
1: started to think I'm glad I'm not there because it would feel very awkward. <laughs> You'd be very, you be very—you look like a five-year-old in a group of men. Seriously, is the, the the little kid who like can't oh. grow a decent beard? I'd feel like I got to turn in like a. Uh, a, my maker card or something like that. Yet you're
4: know. like 6 inches taller than everybody there. So Yeah. You got that did going you guys, for you.
1: Did you guys see the truck O tools that Jimmy Duresta showed up with?
4: No, I didn't see that.
1: He was he was talking about it on the podcast for a while there about how he he just has a bunch of extra stuff that he doesn't need anymore and he was going to just bring it up and just give it away. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, you know, a couple things in the back seat. No. Like the bed of the truck was just filled with stuff,
4: <laughs> tools like drills and saws and things like that. And nice. it was just like, all righty then. Like Santa Claus, the, the maker yeah. Santa Claus. Right. Who needs corporate sponsors to give away?
1: Just, <laughs> Jimmy just went into his basement <laughs> and just Jimmy. filled up a truck.
4: A couple of <laughs> extra things here and there. But yeah, that's cool. 100 episodes in, in the world of podcasting, as we know, is is quite an accomplishment. Uh, it's it's not easy doing this stuff week in and week, week out, so uh, congratulations to those guys on continuing to do a great job with the show. Uh, Shan, you want to grab this next one?
1: Sure. Uh, fine, we're working live. Their registration is now open. That's the... Um <laughs> I hate to even say this. The fine woodworking <laughs>
4: version of Woodworking in America. Yeah, it's their answer to WYA. <laughs>
1: yeah, and you know
4: what? Uh, I still
1: have never uh, been, and I really want to go. Um, so I should probably look into this one.
0: Maybe would like a, to send us all there so we could do a podcast live.
1: There we go. <laughs> is, is it, it still up idea? in New
0: York? I haven't even looked it up yet. It's still up in uh, – I don't know. I just saw it in my email here. It is in uh, – I don't know where this is. <laughs> where it, is your well, – we're we should Southbridge. It's in Southbridge. Southbridge,
4: where? <laughs> I don't know. What's Southbridge? You know, that is kind of funny because
1: you go to the site and it like throws in the Google Map, you know, and in typical Google Map, fashion, that's right.
0: It's at the top in so far,
4: It's at the top right of the screen, guys, on the homepage. Southbridge, meh.
0: Oh, look at that. <laughs> so shut yes, up, it's, in, right, shut up.
4: it's in Massachusetts. Yeah, in bold blue letters. At the top no, right. But you know what?
1: You know why I don't pay attention to that? Because normally the fine woodworking site header is nothing but ads. That's true. Like
4: you've got to scroll down like, you know, for a minute to get past but the But this ads. is the live site. It's different. And they also have Larry David on the homepage, which is nice to see. Yeah. What is that about? <laughs> it's a guy
1: who looks a lot <laughs> like looked Larry at David. I I was like, wait
4: a minute. You <laughs> know like what? I had
1: Nick Offerman before. Now it's I'll Larry David. I'll tell you David. what. You
4: have Larry David there and there is nothing stopping me from going because I'm a big yeah. Larry David fan.
1: Oh, it's just, uh, it's real close to Sturbridge. Sturbridge, ma. So if you want to like go see Mm -hmm. super, super hokey, like old timey village, there you go. Sturbridge
4: Village. I think, you know, and this is just from hearsay pictures and, you know, stuff that I've heard from this event, that it is a little bit more instruction intensive than WIA. WIA has definitely gotten the reputation as being more of a social gathering with the instruction in the classes and the show floor. And I think this, at least from what I've seen, I mean, just look at some of the pictures. It's definitely a little bit more closer meeting, like with these people and almost like, didn't they do that at WIA one year where they were going for a little bit more of like intensive instruction at the bench type activities. And I yeah, feel like
1: yeah, they had stuff like down in the marketplace where you could <clears throat> like after the presentation, yeah. you could then have more one-on-one. Well, they don't, do they even have a marketplace. I don't, if they do, it's not like an official marketplace. It's like they have a couple of sponsors that show up. I or think whatever. it's probably
4: but, very small if they do, but I don't I mean, know for sure.
1: Fine Woodworking sponsors the colloquium at Colonial Williamsburg every year. Um, And it's it's more of like an academic type conference than mm-hmm. anything else in Williamsburg. So they've got a long history of putting on very kind of scholarly type conferences. And I think that's really the, the feel that they're, they're going for here oh, and
4: it's you know Some, it's uh, fine woodworking you know they're sort yeah. of in, in on the scale as you know they sort, sort of are that woodworking academic uh kind of level and by the way here's the reason why they won't have us there to do our show live is because shop talk live will be there and of course you'll be able to chat with oh. the guys of shop talk live tom How mike fun Matt, would it be to do a ben.
0: co-podcast with
4: all of them <gasps> that would be a dream come true Come on, guys. So that they've got one, two, three, four. Five. There should be nothing bad that comes out of a seven-person podcast. I was going to say, that sounds not like a good <laughs> that idea. That sounds terrible. <laughs> seven people in audio. Not good. But yeah, seriously, this is a great event. I would like to go. Um, it's on my list. It's just one of those things that's easier said than done sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The class lineup looks pretty good too. Sure.
4: For show. Sure. All right. So let's get into our kickback. It's where you guys give us some opinions and feedback on things that came up in recent shows. Uh, first one here is from Larry. He says, Mark, you mentioned that you were going to have your mini split installed in your new shop for 1200 bucks. You need to shop around. That's a very high price. My friend came, uh, my friend of mine, my friend of mine, bought a new mini split and had it installed for $800. It's been my experience that prices can be two to four times higher depending on who you call. Don't take the first bid, save your money for tools. Uh, Well, I did do that, Larry. I actually got like four bids on that and they were all ballpark the same and I went with like the cheapest one which I guess as I talk about this stuff more later, you'll probably find out why I don't think that was a great idea so uh, we'll get into that in the future but uh, you know also consider regionally these things can vary dramatically um, in terms of what it might be I don't know where you're from Larry but at least the, the three or four people that I called everybody was in the same ballpark of you know between $1,000 and $1,500 so, that but that is great advice and you'll notice Matt I gave you the, the longest long piece of kickback we have ever had so start so- reading
0: I apologize to <laughs> Lex, who submitted this, and everyone who's listening right now, because there's no way I'm going to make it all the way through this giant paragraph without screwing up at least, I would say, fourteen times, at least, at
4: least. Yep, go for it. <laughs> well, people do
0: say
1: that you, you, we talk over you a lot, so we it's just. Oh, good. You, we yeah, give you the was, novel to
0: read.
4: I was real worried. That's why I did this. It's you know, <laughs> equal opportunity.
0: So you do it to spite the listeners as well as me
4: it's kind of punishment for everyone frankly
0: oh okay good yeah all right (laughs) (laughs) all right here we go get started uh here we go from lux again it says hey guys listen to a fart in the wind today that was (laughs) last week's episode title yeah (laughs) i love it (laughs) i love that people have to write that (laughs) i'm only a beginning woodworker but i'm a professional industrial hygienist including having performed full indoor air quality investigations at commercial wood shops. A few things to note, wearing a respirator is useless unless you're clean-shaven. OSHA allows mustache or small goatee. I know you can buy a respirator at a lot of stores, but uh, without at least a qualitative fit, there's no guarantee that it's working at all. At least perform a positive and negative pressure test by covering the inlets and inhaling and then covering the exhalation valve, and exhaling. If you get any air during the negative test or the face piece does not collapse from the negative pressure, you may as well not be wearing it because the air takes a path of least resistance and the HEPA cartridge has a lot of resistance. Wow, we're only two paragraphs into this. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement, Mark. Hey, I'm here Second for you. I did... Second, I did quite... I did... Wow. Second, I did a quick bit of research on the Particulate monitor, Mark mentioned during the reading. The inventor talked it up. I wouldn't go so far as to say. I wouldn't go as far as to say, far as to call it a scam. But it. W- but I would not trust it, nor would I recommend it to a residential customer. A serious particle counter gets factory calibration every year and a zero and, a, and zero calibrated between every pull. The inventor. The inventor mentioned a half-ass way to zero cal the unit, but no serious calibration and a claim of when a new proprietary calibration, if it can't be independently confirmed because it's it's proprietary, we're trusting the guy selling it. I get the difference between being a professional scientist on this stuff and a hobbyist slash homeowner. In this case, it's the difference between a cheap contractor saw and a sawstop cabinet saw. And I'm not saying the counter doesn't work, but at least look up the zero calibration procedure and use it regularly. Or you can rent a professional equipment, Pine Environmental or Reiko rents to get a handle on your shop. Finally, shop filters. They're only as good as a filter. HEPA or MERV offhand, I'd say that if a filter does not require a pre-filter, it's not actually moving the smallest particles. A HEPA without pre-filtration, usually two-stage, will clog incredibly quickly and the air pressure drop across the filter reduces CFM drastically. I've never seen a shop filter with a magnetic gauge, so I'm not sure... Wait, not something. What is that? Meg, make Hellenic gauge.
4: Uh, uh, I thought it was magnetic, but you're right. That's a, maybe it's a misspelling or a type of gauge. We're not aware of. I don't know what that is. Ma- whatever. <clears throat> make Hellenic gauge.
0: Oh, and Siri has been listening to everything I've been talking about. When did I say, hey, Siri, Siri, what? Shut it's up, lady. Sleep. All right. Uh, I've never seen a shop filter with this fancy gauge thing. We don't know what it is, and I'm not sure I trust one without it. I also only really trust a filter that was NIOSH or similarly rated. MagniHelic.
1: To... MagniHelic sounds like something a software company would add. That is like, Helic. now with
0: twice the MagniHelic power. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, okay, it's not trying to scare us, but my professional life revolves around how the modern world is actively trying to kill us. <laughs> or how <laughs> do I stop worrying and learn to love an arcane and distributing knowledge set? <laughs> I don't expect you guys to read this on the show. Great. We just did. I just thought we'll <laughs> I you should put that at the beginning. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Way to lead into it. Whoops. <laughs> Keep up the good work and thanks for helping me fill my stupid amount of work travel. And if my brother hadn't moved back to Denver, I'd, I'd fit test you with a respirator next time I visit Mark.
4: Hmm. I would have taken you up on that. Uh, interesting thing, I just I, I like this because it's someone who's deep into the in- industry who can kind of give a little bit more of, um just, you know, they've got a deeper understanding of what's going on and what us as woodworkers in our little worlds, you know, when you look at somebody like Bill Pence, for instance, there's a lot of information mm-hmm. on his site, but he is not actually of a background that people should necessarily trust what he says. And I don't mean that he's wrong, I just mean that he is not necessarily qualified in terms of scientific training to give the kind of advice that he gives. Mm-hmm. But as woodworkers, we rally behind it, you know, because here's a and guy he also
1: happens to be selling a dust collection system.
4: Yeah, yeah, so it does make it a little bit suspect there, but you know, that that's, it, you, you have to develop a certain level of trust. And I think as woodworkers, you read what he says, you go, okay, I kind of trust this guy's research and what he's done. So I find it interesting when there are people who are truly in the industry, trained, who know a lot about this stuff, who can sort of evaluate the misconceptions we might have as woodworkers in terms of things like this, air, air cleaning. Um, the one thing I'll say about that monitor, I don't ever use that monitor to tell me an actual number. The number itself is completely meaningless. What I'm using it for is um, relative numbers. So I can see when things go up, I can see when things go down. And I know with the, the bottom line is there are only so many things we can do in our shops. So if you've done everything you can do and then you look at that number and it's still really high, but you know a couple of months ago you did that same operation, and the number was really low. Then you might have a calibration issue. But ultimately, what I'm looking for is, okay, I just cut something. That number spikes up to 4,000. How can I get that number down to 100? And once I do that, then I know I've evacuated as much stuff as I can. So I don't really use it to necessarily uh, take, you know, like important data for an actual experiment. It's just a relative indicator. So I don't necessarily need it to be as perfect as maybe like a really high-end particulate sort of particle counter like he might use in in his work but i do think it's you know for the price i think it's still pretty valuable at least to help you establish the right kind of habits but i've heard that before about the respirators i think that's great advice i mean if you can has anybody ever done that have you ever had like a proper fit test for a respirator i don't know but but
1: i always do that i always do that thing where you like plug the the filters Mm -hmm. and just kind of suck in and see if it collapses around your face yep Every time I put it on, it's just kind of a little gut check. Is it sealing properly?
4: Right. So kind of makes me double like think about this beard of mine that I got going here. Matt, do you ever worry about that?
0: (laughs) Um, To be honest, I should probably be more worried about dust and stuff than I am. So well, the world doesn't
4: uh, people don't actually know that Matt grows like 0.5 micron filtration hair on his face (laughs) Yeah, just naturally. So even if it goes through the beard, it's fine. (laughs)
0: it's Mm. uh it's something i'm going to work on this this year a little more i have a i have a respirator that i i wear occasionally not enough it's just kind of a pain in the butt so i think i'm going to try and get a few different ones and just kind of try a few of them out see Mm. which ones i like the best okay just to get something a little more convenient because for me it's it's the convenience thing like i wear hearing protection all the time because it's convenient to put them on and there's music playing in them most of the time so it's kind of conducive to putting them on Right. Mm. Uh, respirator, not so much. Like I gotta go find it, put it over my face. I got like a strap around my back, and then I gotta put it over my head, and then my hearing protection can go on. So it's kind of like the most annoying piece of personal protective equipment mm. that you can wear in the shop. Yep. Messes so what you're your saying is you want it like cherry flavored or something, or I want it <laughs> cherry flavored and strapless. Hello. Oh, nice. that sounds hot. That sounds- it sounds hot. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Of
1: course, then. when you talk about a personal respirator fitting, all I can think of is George Costanza. There was definite cupping. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: all right. Uh, I didn't see this last one was thrown in here. You want to get that, Shannon? Sure. This one comes from Stein. Uh, we
1: talked last week about the air cleaners and do they make the air worse before mm. they make them better? Well, apparently, uh, Go Figure, Matthias Wendell did a test um, with his homemade machines and. Um, When you turn the machine on, it throws stuff in the air. Then after a while, the air is much cleaner than before. So it seems logical. There you go. There's a video to back it up.
4: I'm just going to jump in here real quick to talk about our friends at Bruso Hardware. Bruso Hardware provides high quality, American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. I've been using Bruso Hardware for years now in my projects and they truly are the pinnacle of quality hardware. Beefy brass hinges that seem to be a work of art in and of themselves. Your best work deserves the best hardware. Woodtalk listeners can use coupon code Woodtalk for 10% off your first order at bruso.com. Check them out, Bruso Hardware. Uh, all right, let's get into our voicemail. So we got quite a few here. Not sure what was in the water, but apparently everyone wanted to, uh, <laughs> to contact us, which we love.
1: People uh, are just too tired to type.
4: That's what it is. Uh, first one here is from Joe. Hello, Wood Talk folks. Uh,
5: this is Joe from the beautiful Lily, Pennsylvania question for you about doing basement woodworking
4: what the heck just happened hold on is that
5: it
4: <laughs> yeah just a question yes. thanks for yes. uh, thanks for you everything should.
5: guys you should do basement woodworking <laughs> all right here yes. we go um i mean as i just said i do all my my work out of my basement and what i find to have a problem with is during the winter months it gets really cold, and I can't do any of my finishing with, like, lacquer finishing and stuff like that outside. So I'm stuck indoors, and I'm wondering if I am stuck with a specific finish. Um, and, you know, if it is, what what should I use? Because um, I can't use anything too uh, smelly because it, it really stinks up the upstairs. Then, um, And then the follow-up question, if you don't mind, is what would you guys suggest as far as heat in a uh, basement shop? I get a little uh, leery of some of the um, home options because I'm afraid dust might get in there and cause a fire. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Thanks. Bye.
4: All right. So cold. Looking for a finish. Looking for some heat recommendations. And I think if you solve the heat problem, you sort of open the playbook a little bit for your finishes. But it's that basement woodworking thing that's a little bit tricky because you do have a ventilation problem. You know, and and any kind of ventilation you do down there is likely to pull back in cold air. So, you know, what do you guys think? Any suggestions at all?
1: Um, I mean, I've had really good luck with just cheap space heaters. I specifically bought a ceramic one. So there wasn't like a red hot filament Mm -hmm. sitting there with dust passing over it. But, um, you know, in a small space, it does not take a really, really powerful heater to heat it up. You know, you may need to go in there 15 minutes early, turn it on to, to warm the space up, but, um, I mean, that thing gets pretty dusty and I will occasionally go over there and just kind of blow it out, but like, there's no smell coming off it. Like something is burning or anything like that. Um, I think the problem you run into is when you get those super powerful heaters that are, you know, kicking off enormous amounts of heat mm-hmm. and really all you got to do is get it above what 60, 60, 65 degrees. I think it's like the bottom end for most finishes, at mm-hmm. least that's what it says on the can. So that's not that hot. I mean, I guess in, if it's negative 60 outside, <laughs> there's a bigger yeah. delta. In most climates, it's not but, that hard to do. Yeah. So, you know, he said he's from Pennsylvania. So he's basically in my neck of the woods. Um, I spent $24 at Home Depot on my <laughs> space heater, and it does a great job in my yeah. 300 square foot shop.
4: Well, finish-wise, I think – you know, he's going to probably still, no matter what he does, want to use something that's very low VOC. So I think water-based finishes would be a good place to start. Brushing them on is probably, or wiping or, you know, sort of using those foam brushes. It's probably not a bad idea. They do still have some, you know, chemical uh, off-gassing that you have to be concerned about, but it won't be nearly as bad as if you're trying to put lacquer down or like polyurethane. Um, yeah, could you imagine? And also uh, oil-based finishes. Now, not like the 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 varnishes and things like that. I'm talking just like oil-based finishes is kind of the wrong way to, to frame that. More like a natural oil, pure oils are things that don't necessarily, I mean, they, they have an odor for sure, but it isn't necessarily going to be something that could be like dangerous to the household or dangerous combined with a certain type of heater. So that may be something to look into. But I do think, you know, in that basement situation, in a cold situation, you are going to be incredibly limited in the types of finishes that you could uh, apply in that situation.
0: Um, with, the, with the cold thing, presumably his house has a furnace mm-hmm. and he is inside that home. So I don't know if his basement is finished or not, but you could just run another duct off your uh, furnace thing. That heats your whole house. Yeah. Now, get I don't know much about
4: HVAC, but do you get a little, I mean, don't you ever cause to be concerned about things like fumes and dust if you're sort of combining that space, uh, the same HVAC system with your house HVAC system? I don't know how much air sharing there is between zones like that, if that would be a concern.
0: I don't know, but like right now, obviously we can only speculate how his shop is set up. But Let's say it's an unfinished basement in the furnace. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
2: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: It's literally like right there in the same room with them. So in theory, it's the same exact thing. They're just pushing hot air into that room a little more passively than you would be if you're running a duck directly into that area. Mm-hmm, right. I don't know. Just a thought. This I mean, is you already have, you're already heating your house.
4: Right. Well, this, this is definitely, well, th- I think this is a good one for kickback. Uh, people who have probably addressed this or uh, found ways around it and to deal with it. Let us know what you think. Uh, well,
1: I mean the, at the heart of his question was the odor, right? So I think if you, yeah. if you solve the heat issue, get it to the point where finishes are going to cure properly and then just buy a low VOC, finish, like a Mm. water-based finish, um, hopefully we'll solve the problem. Hopefully.
2: Hopefully.
4: Alright, i got another question here. This one's from Jason.
2: Hey guys, this is Jason in Apple Valley, Minnesota again. Uh, This time I'm actually calling with a question. So, (laughs) I've got this stack of uh, um, end-green cutting boards made out of hard maple and purple heart. And just kind of waiting to put finish on them and so I have them sitting out on my dining room table um, waiting for the, the purple heart wood to get its color back before I apply finish and after a few days here what we've noticed is um, on the end grain of the purple heart the, there's resin, streaks of resin starting to come up through and it makes you know ridges on the top of the board Obviously, I can't sand that because that would just, you know, start the whole purpling process all over again. So I guess the question is, what what do you do? I mean, if when I go to apply finish over the top of this, is it just going to, I don't know, is it going to be a problem? <laughs> or um, is there something you would do to clean that resin off the board before applying finish? Anyway, um, as always, Love the show. Really appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks
5: much.
4: Bye. This sounds like really bad news to me because if if this were a piece of furniture, okay, we might find some way to seal some of that crap in there, but we're talking about cutting boards. This doesn't sound like a good thing in any way. Now, Shannon, I I was curious uh, if you know anything about this. I've worked with Purple Heart a lot, and 99% of what I've purchased has been fine. I haven't had any issues with any kind of sap or any kind of juiciness that can happen. Uh, but then someone gave me a Purple Heart board at one time, and it was just the sappiest, awful thing. I've and I was just it was unusably sappy, and it would come out of the end grain when fresh mm. cut. It would come out of the face grain, and I've never seen it before. But this one board was gnarly, and I've gotten emails about that from people who are like, "Hey, how do you guys uh, contend with this this type of you know really resinous?" wood and I'm like it. well it's not like that for me so I've never confronted that so my question for you do you know if that is a, a stage of growth or a stage you know depending on when it was cut during the year that it might be more sappy than another time um, that he's confronting this?
1: Well you're going to run into that with with most trees but tropical trees there really is no early and late growth I okay. mean it's hot and wet all the time right, you right. know so it's always growing it's one of the reasons that that exotics have so little sapwood um, and they're very kind of homogenous in, in structure. But <clears throat> that wood goes through a lot from where it was sell, felled and, and wherever it's coming from, Africa, Indonesia, South America, whatever. Um, and a lot of times you can get um, – Not, I don't want to say poor – well, yeah, poor drying, poor unintentional drying because it sits in a steel container in the bright sun <laughs> in a port somewhere or on a ship. Are then in the port stateside, and there's all kinds of stuff that just happens. Um, So depending on how fresh off the boat that particular wood can be, Mm -hmm. there can be a lot of just shock going on, and stuff is literally just bubbling up to the surface because it's been superheated inside a container. In some instances, depending upon the, the exporter, it may or may not have been dried before it was put in the container, or it was dried to a higher level than thrown into a container with a bunch of other stuff. Um, cause it, you know, purple heart gets used a lot. So you are getting full, complete shipping containers of purple heart, but mm-hmm. there's other species where there's like six or seven different species lumped in there and four or five iguanas and some bats and things <laughs> like that. Other fun things we shouldn't <laughs> you be think I'm joking, <laughs> but you should see some of the stuff that comes out of the containers. It's usually dead, but sometimes it's alive and it flies out right in your face. Oh boy. <laughs> um, so there's just all <laughs> kinds of stuff that happens. So invariably, when we get a, an exotic that comes in, it comes out of the container and it sits at minimum in our air drying yard for six months just to let whatever funk that was going on in that container kind of subside. And then we usually dry it again. So depending on where it came from, if it came from a broker, maybe none of that was done. Yeah. Or maybe it just came off the boat and you just you just don't know. Mm,
4: OK, uh, either way we're talking about a cutting board and if you've got something that is seeping like that uh you know i don't even know that there's really much of an option we've talked about in the past ways that you can kind of warm it up to try to get it to set uh i think in furniture a lot of times you could wipe it down with acetone and put it i don't know some kind of a lacquer finish or shellac on top would probably effectively seal it in so that you could start to build a top coat on top of that but really with a cutting board we're not doing that right so I don't really hold out too much hope that these things are going to be usable or at least something you could feel good about giving to other people uh, that, the, you know, they aren't going to get this stuff on food that's going to be cut on that board. I'd be really concerned about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound like it would add good extra flavor. No, either.
4: Not the good kind of flavor. <laughs> it's not leaking barbecue sauce. That's for sure. Uh, try
0: baking, uh, I guess.
4: Right, as a last ditch effort, because throw in the oven. So yeah, I mean, what's the worst? You were talking about something you might have to scrap anyway, or you know, come up with some other use for it. So why not try to bake it and see if you can kind of set that stuff so it doesn't leak out? Uh, all right, so let's get to the next question. This one's from Steve. It's good, just looking for some clarification. I believe it was Shannon who said this about uh, last week with panels in our. Um, e- well, it was the extra of the weekend show? I don't know. Matching, and you said something about riffs on uh, being a little bit easier.
3: Okay. Hey guys, this is Steve from Montana. Loved the last weekend show, dealing with glue-ups and how to hide the lines, but I have a question, and it's probably because I'm a neophyte. Uh, Why does riff saw, and you talk about riff saw, and hide the glue line better than quarter saw? My understanding is quarter saw and the end grain would look like uh, it's running almost straight up and down, whereas riff saw is somewhere around a 45-degree angle and a little more or less. And so just really confused why Riff Sawn turns out better than quarter saw for hiding blue lights. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Especially love the two shows a week. And I love supporting you by Patreon. Bye-bye.
4: We love that you do that. And and we love you. Patrons. So is that – did you say that, Shannon?
1: Yeah. Explain yourself, sir. Absolutely. (laughs) If you think about it, Riff Sawn is – you're going to get a much cleaner straight grain line – Whereas the minute you go to quarter sawn, your medullary ray starts to show up a lot more. In certain species, it may not be a big deal. But even in things like maple or cherry, where the medullary rays are really small, you get that kind of speckled look on the surface. It looks really cool, but it also adds another variable to that glue line. When you go to rift sawn and you lean those grain lines over just a little bit to 60 to 45 degrees, now you're just getting straight lines. And you're not getting that speckled medullary ray. Now take a species like white oak or red oak with just <laughs> enormous red medullary rays yeah. and look at the difference between a rift sawn white oak board, beautiful straight grain, nice and clean, nothing between those lines. Go to 90 degrees on those growth rings and you've got, you know, blah, just, <laughs> <it's> just <laughs> stuff just all over the Wide surface. White oak fat cut veins. Yeah. Right. And And that becomes something that now you've got to find a match across a glue line that can be – it's the same. You've got figure. You know, it's it's yeah, like it's trying just like to figure. match a curly quilted figure across a glue line. It's uh, it's a totally different look. Yeah. So, um, shoot, I just forgot his name, Steve. So, Steve, what I would say is go get a quartersawn board and go get a rift sawn board, hold them up to one another, and it will become obvious very quickly why one, uh, why rift makes a better glue line. I think.
4: Well, and in some cases, it won't be that big of a difference if the medullary rays are not quite so obvious as they are in something like quartersawn white oak, but look at the prices too. If you're doing this to hide the face, you may be better off with riffs on or Quarter Sawn. I would imagine most of the time the Quarter Sawn is going to be more expensive. So if you know, the Riffson does a better job, if it happens to be cheaper, then go that route uh, versus the Quarter Sawn. But I don't know. Yeah. I guess it depends on the pricing. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for the I'm support. I'm taking a
1: drink right now, Mark. That's fine. Sure. Fine. Take a drink.
4: Let's go to Michael's question about acute angles.
5: Hey, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Uh, this is Michael from Cleveland College, and I'm just looking for some advice on how uh, the best way to cut acute angles. Uh, I've got a project I'm working on, and uh, I need to cut 57-degree uh, angles, you know, beyond what the miter set uh, can help me with and, and uh, settings on my miter saw. So, um, you know, looking for some help. Uh, I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.
4: All right, what do you guys think? I got no advice. I don't do angles very often. <clears throat> I think, I think this is a kind of a common question
1: amongst new woodworkers because they see the, the miter gauge and it goes to 45 degrees and you think, well, what happens if I've got to count 52 degrees or 60 degrees? And what you have to remember is that it only goes to 45 degrees because when it stands upright, it's at 90 degrees. So now you're subtracting. If you need, what did you say? 52 degrees.
4: 57, I think.
1: 57. Whatever. whatever. I don't know. There's some math there.
4: Just say 50 degrees.
1: Subtract 50 from 90 and you get 40. And you can set your miter gauge at 40 degrees, but then you have to change the orientation of your workpiece. You guys follow me there? Oh, I'm with you. Oh, yeah. And 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 it's something... Well, and it's... I can understand why people get confused about this because, well, it only goes to 45 degrees. Well... Yes, but, you know, there's is there's like 180 degrees from one side of the blade to the other. So if you tilt the blade either, you know, one way or the other, it's going to go off of 90. So as you begin to tilt it to the left, you know, 90, 89, et cetera, et cetera. And technically, if the blade were to tilt the other way, it would go 91, 92, 93. But the blade doesn't tilt the other way. But hopefully that gives you some idea that by changing the orientation of your workpiece and the miter gauge, you can still get that 57 degree angle, whatever it is.
4: Yeah, it just, More I think sometimes- More often
1: than not, you're- Sorry, go no, ahead. go
4: ahead. I was just going to say, it can get kind of confusing because a lot of times to get these things, you're doing multiple cuts or you're doing some kind of a frame, so you'll need to do the equivalent cut on a different workpiece, and now the workpiece has to be held a different way or on a different side of the blade or something, so right. it can, not I mean, getting the strategy there, even if you could hit that angle- the, the bigger picture strategy that you need to employ to get good results on not just one, but multiple work pieces, you know, can be a little bit daunting.
1: Right. What I highly recommend is get a bevel gauge, set your angle on the bevel gauge, and then transfer that line to like the ingrain of your workpiece so that you have a physical visual cue of what that angle and make sure you put an X on the waist side. <laughs> just yeah. trust me just on that to one. Just be safe. Um, and, and now you've got a visual representation, so then you can take it to your table saw or whatever bandsaw, and you can kind of okay, well, it won't tilt that far. So what happens if I tilt the workpiece up on up on its edge? Well, is that going to be dangerous? Not dangerous? Can I hold it in such a way that way you've at least got something visual that you can line up with the blade and figure out how do I make that fifty three point seven eight five degree
4: mm-hmm. cut right? Cool, all right, let's get into the next one. This is our last question. And it's from our buddy, AJ. Where the heck is it? There it is, hiding behind Shannon.
3: Hey, guys. It's AJ uh, from New England Woodworking Studio. Um, now that I am a monthly patron, I don't feel bad about leaving you these voice anymore.
5: So, <laughs> great.
3: Um, and anybody who is not a monthly patron, you should definitely do it. Not a, it's only a couple bucks a month, and you get some really cool extras. So, definitely uh, go for it. Uh, my question for this episode is that table that we talked about last time um, It's pretty much doing this large table in my shop that doesn't have a lot of open space. It's not a tiny shop, but there's a lot of machines in it, and I don't have, you know, room for an 85, 36-inch table to sit, you know, anywhere, except for on top of my bench. So I'm looking for tips or advice I'm doing this large table or any large project in a shop that has a lot of stuff in it and doesn't have a lot of open floor space to put this or doesn't have a big assembly table. Um, I know, I know, I know. A little open-ended. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not that sorry. I'm still going to ask. So thanks. Anything. Any tips I can get would be amazing. Thank you very much, and as always, I love the show, and I look forward to hearing my wonderful voice on it once again. Have a <laughs> wonderful day.
4: So here's my strategy with AJ. I think for now on, we'll just play his voicemail and just not answer it. <laughs> we'll just play it and then let it let it hang in the air and move on to the next thing. <laughs> you think that'll work? <laughs> yeah, he's right. He, he's you know he's helping us out with Patreon, and then we should at least play his voicemail, but we don't have to answer it. Uh, so again, oh. that, the, the very general sort of thing. Any kind of strategies you can employ, and I'm not really a good person to answer this. Uh, you guys, <laughs> you guys are probably both much better suited to answer how you deal with this kind of situation. Oh, so, I was just
1: building an aircraft carrier, and I don't yeah. a room in my shop.
4: A uh, king size bed, you know, something like that, or a big, uh, you know, Queen Anne something or other thingy bobby that that you're going to be making. Matt, these are challenges you guys have to confront. Any very quick, brief tips for uh, AJ?
0: you want to go first? Do you want to go first, Shannon? Go for it, Matt. Okay. Uh, pre-finishing. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Your pieces are smaller, um, a little more manageable, so you can pre-finish everything before you do your final assembly, and you don't have to worry about trying to finish this giant thing, because once you assemble those pieces, they get a lot bigger. Uh, the other thing you could try is... Wait, what? I know. I know. <laughs> one plus Mind one equals right two? Like, first, we take boards and make them smaller, and then we make them bigger again. It's like, uh, wow. what is the point?
1: I haven't gotten what, to the that vicious that cycle, cycle yet in my woodworking. <laughs> I can only make things small. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, the, the other thing you can do is find a different finishing space. So you bring it in your house. If you want to do that whole thing, like we just talked about doing in your basement or something. If you have a space like that, or like I did, I finished that farmhouse table outside. Wouldn't recommend that kind of a pain in the butt. Um, and then the other, the last thing I can say is like, try and, Rearrange things a little bit so you get some clearance or some space, like even up in the air. So, if you could have this, it's a table he's are doing, right? The table. Anyway, if you're doing a sure. big table, if you can get it like, I don't know, the legs like three or four feet off the ground, so it's suspended in the air above things that might be beneath it, um, that could be another way to do it. But overall, if you're going to be doing finishing something that big in your shop, you're going to be looking forward to getting the thing finishing out of your shop because it's going to be pretty cramped. And mm-hmm. kind of annoying. Yeah. I think the, the very
1: first point you made is the is the key one because the bigger the project, probably it breaks down. Because then how are you going to get it through doors and like <laughs> physically lift it? You know, mm-hmm. the king size bed example is a perfect one because you can't fit a king size bed through most doors. They're meant to knock down into constituent parts. If not only for the fact that maybe you won't fit through the door, but just so that it's a little bit lighter, even if it's a platform bed, the headboard usually separates from the platform, or there'll be some sort of plinth or something that it sits on that separates. Even things like, um, <clears throat> like a uh, uh, tall bookcases or something like that, or period pieces—they're usually chest on chest type things. One sits on top of the other. It's because it ends up being so ungodly heavy, no one can move it anyway. <laughs> so true. already your your kind of construction is broken into components that can be pre-finished individually. Um, I, I ran into that with the the queen size bed that I made in my little shop. And the only way I could do it was I went vertically <laughs> by <laughs> stacking stuff so I could have different rails. But it was also just it just took longer, frankly, because I only had so much room. Like I could finish the headboard, but I had no room for the rails. So I just finished the headboard separately, and it was a pain in the butt because I it, it had to go through the whole process, and then I had to go through the process on my rails because there just wasn't any other place to put them. Hmm. Cool. Suck it up, in other words, AJ,
4: and deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out. Where there's a will, there's a way, I guess. Uh, All right, so if you want to leave us a voicemail on Skype, you can do that. Phone number is 623-242-5180 or you can uh, just use our name there. It's Wood Talk Online. And now we're going to get into our emails and we uh, cut it down to just two today since we had so many voicemails. First one here is from Dane. He says, I'm moving into a new house and have a similar flooring situation to what Mark is facing. Namely, the basement is wood framed with a single sheet of three-quarter inch subfloor. Is this strong enough to support the tools without sagging or should I lay down another layer of 3 4 inch subfloor? Should I use an adhesive such as green glue acu- uh, acoustic sealant to help dampen, the- dampen down the sound? Is plywood rugged enough to not get destroyed by tools or do I need some sort of top coat polyurethane? So a couple questions there. This is something that I cannot say I'm like really, really well versed in but it is something that I'm currently looking into so it's on my mind. So very quickly, a lot of the support in my opinion is going to come from what's below that piece of ply. Uh, you know, if it's every 16 inches, probably not that big of a deal. If it's, you know, they went like 24-inch spacing or something, you're probably going to have some issues there. So that is the the real foundation for how sturdy this floor is going to be. Either way, I would put a second layer on there because I've uh, talked to a few friends of mine who have done things as simple as a layer of foam on concrete, then follow that with a layer of like tongue and groove OSB, and then a second layer of tongue and groove OSB on top of that and make a floating floor out of that. And that can be incredibly sturdy and that second sheet of plywood, I do think is kind of important um, to really making the whole thing a little bit more sturdy. You are going to have some pretty heavy tools on there, Um, and I'd hate to, you know, again, if you don't know exactly what's below that, you definitely want to do this, and I would probably recommend it either way, even if you don't know what's below it. That second layer, I think, is going to be pretty critical. As far as the adhesive I don't know that you need to necessarily go with an acoustic sealant because a lot of times when it comes to things like soundproofing and uh, acoustic issues like that, there are things you might not be considering that may defeat what you're trying to do. You know, so if you're if you're trying to let's say make a wall uh, soundproof, or I, I did a lot of like research on this stuff for home theater, but if that wall is physically connected to you know, the the framing that's behind it, it, vibrations are going to transfer through and it doesn't really matter what you do. See, there are ways to sort of suspend it so that there is a gap between things and that allows that vibration to sort of dissipate before it transfers right through. So again, look into it, but I just think if it's going, if the vibrations are going right through this stuff into the floor, I'm not sure how much that acoustic sealant layer is going to improve things uh, for you there. There might be other things you can do that'll give you a bigger bang for the buck. Uh, let's see, plywood rugged enough not to get destroyed by tools. Yeah, and I think if you do have that double layer, I do think it's going to be strong enough not to get destroyed. Uh, Top coat, I think it's probably a good idea just for the sake of helping to resist stains and giving you something that's, you know, kind of easy to sweep up a little bit. But I don't think that poly is really going to give you any kind of serious level of protection from the tools. You know, like if you drop a chisel or you roll a 500 pound tool over the surface, It's just, you know, it's going to look like crap anyway. Um, So I wouldn't get too hung up on that. I probably would buy, I don't know, like a couple gallons of a cheap floor polyurethane mat and I would throw it down there and probably not be too careful with it because the dust that stays on the, like in the material is going to help it not be so slippery, you know, because if you build up a very thick film of a top coat on that floor, now you've got a, a slip and you know trip sort of hazard there that you right. want to avoid. Too,
1: just ask my dog who went head first down the stairs last night when he could not <laughs> take a corner too fast. Yeah, he slipped right off the edge and went down the stairs. Yeah, uh, and I pointed and laughed for an hour. Stupid
4: at dog. Dogs. you
1: know, I think also the second second layer of of flooring could be beneficial for that purpose. Like if you screw stuff up. You know, it's kind of like when you put that 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 extra layer of like hardboard over something because I can always replace it later. Yeah, you, you never do, layer. right? Yeah, you never do.
4: But, <laughs> that you is know, very true. And for
1: that matter, I would stay away from uh of from adhesive <laughs> for that purpose because yeah, if you so wanted you pull to like, swap out a panel, mm-hmm. you know, just undo some screws and put a new panel down because you you know you dropped your your saw stop on it and it cracked it or something like that. Yeah, why lifting your saw stop? I'm not sure.
4: Yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Working out, dude. Pumping (laughs) iron, baby. Uh. (laughs) That's how we woodworkers stay so good looking. Uh. Okay. Um, Well, that's about it. So, Shannon, you want to do yours? Sure.
1: We got a quick one here from Wilson um, on our Patreon page. He says, I'm looking to restore some older vintage hand saws and panel saws. Which saw files would I need to get started? Thank you. First of all, Wilson, thank you for drawing a distinction between hand saws and panel saws. You get a gold star today. We're not calling them all panel saws. Appreciate that. Don't be so condescending. Um, I know. I'm trying to be. <laughs> I highly recommend just going to Lee Valley and buying their saw sharpening file kit. Um, there is all kinds of ink and turf wars spilled over the types of saw files. I don't actually know which one Lee Valley is using anymore because the ones that apparently that I have when I bought it like a year ago are not the ones they stock now. But the key is you buy that kit. Um, hold on. I have the page up. It is six piece file set with the tool roll is forty one dollars. For Forty one dollars. You have all the files you need to basically restore any saw you're going to run across Because I think one of the biggest things is confusing for people as well, do I use the 6-inch slim, the 6-inch double extra slim? Should I use the 7-inch slim? I I don't know. You use the one that fits the sawtooth, and you hold the file up to it. What you want is the saw file to be slightly more than twice the height of your tooth. So set it in the gullet, and the top of that tooth should come just below the center line of that file. And that's the file you use. Maybe an oversimplification, but when you're just getting started, that's what you want is oversimplification. So instead of going and buying and guessing exactly what sizes you need and buying them one at a time, just spend the $41. You get all the file files you need and a handy dandy little canvas tool roll and a mill file to joint your files. Mm -hmm. Best $41 you'll spend.
4: Nice. That was my nickname in college.
1: Best $41 you'll
4: ever spend. Also, yes, that's a good one. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> that almost outdoes mine. Jeez. Nicely done. No, uh, seven inch slim. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. So <laughs> on that note, uh, we also have an email extra portion of the show that we're going to do as soon as we finish up here. And uh, shoot, I got the old topic in there. What is our topic? Oh, we're going to go off topic a little bit and uh, you know holidays are here upon us and uh, Christmas things you can time can coming for $41 <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> and uh, we did have a question about things that we do as far as like holiday traditions and stuff like that so we thought that would be fun for a nice little email extra and if you want to get those email extras you can just go to com slash woodtalk and sign up for the $4 Patreon level and you will get those uh, piped out to you every week after the main show and we post both the regular and the email extra there and you can get all in one RSS feed which is pretty darn cool so uh, let's see other ways you could support us besides Patreon you can go get a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com you could go to woodtalkshow.com I mentioned this earlier because we had a donor through PayPal you could find those links if you just want to make a quick one time contribution to help us out we appreciate it you could leave us a review in the iTunes store click on ratings and reviews after you look us up and give us a five star rating four is acceptable three don't bother we just uh, we don't like those Uh, but yeah you could leave one there and we'll probably read it at some point on the show And I will not be reading those today. So, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here.
1: Sure. If you want to tell us how you spend your $41.50, you can do that on Skype. Uh, The username is WoodTalkOnline. Or you could call us at 623-242-5180. You could type something out on the fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Or you can go to our website at woodtalkshow.com and just leave a comment on this episode. and Tell us how you spent your $41 on your favorite holiday Mm -hmm. tradition. No, that's the next show.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Good job. So, yeah. And don't forget, you know, Mark can be found at thewoodwhisperer.com, Matt at mattcremona.com, and me, your lovely end of show cut up, goofball, cornball, whatever, renaissancewoodworker.com.
4: Nice. You know where you can't find me? On my off channel (laughs) on YouTube. (laughs) Tune into the weekend show. You've been content ID'd by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, tune into the weekend show and you'll find out a little bit more about that. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.
1: Bye.
0: (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to
3: scoop up stunning high-end goods